0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.
2: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the
1: worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network
4: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
5: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with two uh, excellent analysts and writers, Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do like to tell you of our special introductory offer for first-time uh, trials uh, available, each separately, I might add. Call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's in Queens, New York, 718-457-1426. Or you can simply go to our website at miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com to sign up for those trial subscriptions as well as uh, all the other subscription options for all three newsletters. I like to say the best place to go for my newsletter is probably uh, my newsletter and actually, no, all the things that I do, including access to this radio show, is J. Taylor Media. That's spell out my first name, J-A-Y, taylormedia.com. Well, I want to thank uh, each of you for listening to this show. Our show is the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks to uh, people like you out there listening to this show and not only listening to it live but downloading it like to remind you that you can always download this either directly from that website that you can get through jtaylormedia.com, or you can go to, um, you can also get it uh, downloaded through the iStore. And uh, I also want to thank, of course, our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Bonanza, Brazil resources, Helio resources, Lucky Strike resources, Metanor resources, American manganese, Atocha resources, Meadow Bay gold, and Merrick's gold. Well, it is increasingly obvious even to the mainstream media, who seem to be quite slow at catching on sometimes, uh, that these are not normal times. It is clear the western economies are in deep trouble. And according to Dr. Jim Walker, who was on the show a few weeks ago, even the emerging economies, especially China, may be setting up for huge problems, too, given the enormous amount of statist planning and malinvestment that flows from non-market decision-making. Although the media understands that these are not normal times, they are largely ignoring, I think, the cause of the problem. And, uh, and so are most of the politicians who are running for president in the Republican Party. Uh, the only ones, the only really candidate I think that understands what the problem is, is Ron Paul. He does understand the world through the uh, lens of Austrian economics and the problems we face, he understands, have been caused by the Federal Reserve, our fiat monetary system, and the enormous amount of malinvestment that results whenever huge amounts of money is pumped into the uh, into the economy. Tonight uh, is another presidential debate, uh, and so I will have with me during the second hour of today's show, Ron's chief of staff, Jeff Deist. He's going to be here to talk about Ron's campaign and also the issues that our country faces also who has a very strong grasp of the problems our nation and our world are facing as a result of debt is our main guest today he's ron Hera. i think you will find ron to provide some extremely interesting insights important insights into the harm being caused uh... by our institutions that are imposed on the american people and citizens around the world uh... by the large corporations and governments that are really trying to uh... trying to overcome the natural laws of economics I hope to talk uh, to Ron uh, also about the uh, about the Utah legislation to legalize gold and silver as money, and the prospects uh, for that becoming a widespread issue throughout uh, a lot of different states. As always, in keeping with uh, offering investment ideas to fit these troubled times. I will have Ron Perry joining me in just a few minutes to talk about the turnaround at Metanor Resources. And in just a minute, we will go to a commercial break, and then I will talk to Ron uh, about the prospects for Metanor, which really seems to be in a turnaround situation. This is a company that we have featured before on this uh, show, but I think Ron will have some important things to tell you. Now, last week, I went down to the Wall Street uh, area where Occupy Wall Street is taking place in New York City. And I was very impressed with the energy, the civility, the intelligence of many of the younger people who were there. Quite correctly, in my view, there is a deep sense that Wall Street is robbing the American people. My main concern is that the real cause of our problems, namely fiat money, which led to massive expansion of debt and malinvestment, will not be understood by these folks. And as we like to say on this show, unless you properly diagnose the problem, you are not going to be very successful in fixing it. But the fact that uh, the injustices are increasingly being recognized is, I think, the first step towards uh, hopefully solving those problems. And so I am very happy that more and more bright people are energized to call attention to the massive injustices in our society that are taking place. Before we go to break, I would like to read the following uh, comments written by a brilliant writer named Chris uh, Hedges uh, in his essay titled "A Movement Too Big to Fail: All Hope Lies Now with Those in the Street." Hedges notes that there is no more hope with the liberal establishment among the mainstream politicians, the likes of Clinton and Obama, because these guys have really sold out the left, the, the social, uh, say, say the, the liberal establishment or the liberals to the establishment, to the corporatocracy. So the masses have taken to the streets, and this is, uh, according to Hedges, our only hope. Well, I think our only hope is really understanding the problem, uh, not just energizing people uh, and making bad decisions that could result from it. So um, that is really important. But nonetheless, I think Hedges raises some very brilliant questions that I just had to pass along to you uh, to think about how evil our establishment has become as it has been enabled by the Federal Reserve's printing presses. Hedges asks the following questions. What kind of nation is it that spends far more to kill enemy combatants and Afghan and Iraqi civilians than it does to help its own citizens who live below the poverty line? What kind of nation is it that permits corporations to hold sick children hostage while their parents frantically bankrupt themselves to save their sons and daughters? What kind of nation is it that tosses its mentally ill out on urban heating grates? What kind of nation is it that abandons its unemployed while it loots its treasury on behalf of speculators? What kind of nation is it that ignores due process to torture and assassinate its its citizens, its own citizens? So Hedges, I believe, correctly identifies the problems. Uh, he believes that, that Occupy um, Wall Street movement and the, and the Tea Party movement, hopefully, presumably he's there too with that movement, is a reaction against the abuse of power from the establishment for every action there is a reaction and so it is in politics and in markets as well and the big reaction that we are seeing against the establishment from the markets over this past decade has been in the gold markets where uh... which are attempting really to fix the problems caused by the intervention against free markets by the federal reserve and by our government and other governments too of course around the world one of the few ways to protect uh, yourself economically is to trade in fraudulent paper money that is forced on us by law and buy gold and silver related assets. And one company that I think may offer a leverage play on, on the price of gold is MetaNora Resources. We are going to be, uh, we're going to go to a commercial break right now and as soon as we come back, uh, we'll have Ron Perry with us. He's the treasurer of Metanor Resources. So don't go away. I'll be right back.
3: American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
4: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
0: Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com And get in on this investment opportunity at the ground floor.
3: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride.
1: I'll be sliding.
4: Taylor at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
5: Welcome back to turning hard times into good times. I am your host Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Ron Perry. He's a vice president and treasurer of Metanor Resources. Ron's been with us before to talk about the company he's involved with, as I just mentioned, Metanor Resources. It trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol MTO. And you can buy it in the United States in the over-the-counter market under MEAOF. M-E-A-O-F. Approximately 201.7 million shares outstanding, and it's uh, recently traded at about 35, 36 cents, somewhere in that range. Giving it a market cap around $71 million or so. And within the last two months, uh, I've noticed on the chart it's traded as high as 42 cents. Well, welcome, Ron, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
2: Pleasure to be here, Jay.
5: Really good to have you and to talk to you again. You have an underground gold mine that is nearing production in Quebec, that being the Bachelor Lake mine. And then you have a second property in Quebec as well, which appears to have very major upside potential longer term, namely the Berry deposit. But since the Bachelor Lake property is the project which, you, uh, which you're really paying most attention to and which should provide cash flow first for Metanor, I'd like to focus on that one, if you don't mind. Um, can you can you tell our listeners uh, how soon you expect Bachelor Lake uh, to go into production?
2: Okay, the the timetable is that we're already right. We've we announced uh, at the end of July we finished uh, we completed the uh, shaft sinking to five an extra 536 feet to access the uh, the uh, 200,000 ounces of ore that will be basically is the initial three-year mine life we have inferred which we will convert and that's what we're drilling and we can talk about. The recent uh, drill results, uh, drill results on the Hugh Friend section, mm-hmm. but we're 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 going to we'll be touching ore probably in November. In other words, we're drifting uh, now on level thirteen and fourteen to access the ore. That's why we sunk the shaft, and we'll start preparing the bulk sample in Q4. Obviously, preparing means we'll start to bring uh, muck up ore, or ore up to the surface and getting it ready. So, in the first quarter, we'll pass the bulk sample. Uh, January, February, March, we'll be passing the bulk sample in probably in two stages: 2,500 uh, tons and uh, 2,500 tons, and another 2,500. a total, 5,000 tons, of for which we already have the uh, the permit for. So we're at this stage, we're fully permitted.
5: Okay, Ron. Let me just ask you. So you're expecting to pull that that ore as like a bulk sample or a bulk uh, a bulk feed of of 5,000 uh, tons into the mill, and this would be the first quarter of 2012,
2: right? Correct. Okay. So we're preparing it. That's we're still on the schedule preparing it because you got to bring the bring the ore to the surface and also mm-hmm. prepare your workstations for going into. Then we once the bulk is is completed, February and March, uh, then we'll do the feasibility study because these are all the the steps that you have to do to go into production. So we'll prepare the feasibility study, which will include another resource calculation. Uh, that's why we're drilling at Hugh Friend, and if and the drill will go underground uh, next month to go on the bachelor side as well. So all this will be, uh, will be transmitted into a new 43101 on the bachelor and the feasibility study. And then once that's complete, then we continue, uh, into production. And then, okay,
5: when, Ron, when do you expect the feasibility study to be completed? Uh, I'd
2: say March, April. March or April, because an awful lot of work's been done here before. And oh no, we'll be using the same firm. It's just basically updating the numbers. It's not a, we've done a pre-fees, so mm-hmm. a lot of the work is is complete. It's just mm-hmm. updating that document and, and turning mm-hmm. it into a feasibility. Mm-hmm. But, okay. Uh,
5: yeah, and uh, okay. So you mentioned the Ufran. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit? Is the Ufran a deposit that's connected to Bachelor Lake Mine?
2: It's an actual property that is accessible. Through the original mine shaft, uh, through level six. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the viewers may not be familiar, but friend is adjacent to, uh, Bachelor Lake. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, budding together. Uh, so for all and purposes, it is two mines. We just, we just keep them separate as two properties for potentially tax purposes that we could do a bulk sample on both. Okay. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, it is one mine. It's okay. accessible. We uh, earned a hundred percent uh, from Caminco because we spent 1.8 million, so we own it 100%. Uh, previous to that it was owned by Ore Resources, and they actually did go down the shaft, and along level 6, there were steel doors, uh, saying from this point on, it's you friend from this side is Bachelor, those doors mm-hmm. are not there anymore, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, and uh, so we will go towards that ore. Uh, the drill results that we just uh, announced uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks—you know, you know, nine, nine point seven grams over three meters—and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of potential here. And okay, Ron, I want to get
5: into that. I would like to get into the potential of it. I would like to back up just for a second and ask you, uh, you did do some pre-feasibility study and clearly your feasibility work will be more definitive, but can you give our listeners some sense of what the cost, how much gold you expect you can produce from the Bachelor Lake, um, and what the cost per
2: ounce, the cash cost per ounce might be? Oh, it'd be my pleasure, Dr. I mean, the economics on this uh, with Stantec, the pre-feasibility, using gold at 1271 uh we were arriving at an IRR of 85% uh, with a 10-month payback, uh, and that's at 60,000 ounces annual production. That's what we do. We're using only two-thirds capacity of the mill. We'll be running it at 800 tons per day to arrive at that 60,000, so we do have some upward motion uh, potential there.
5: Okay, so your overall potential is 1,200 tons per day? Yes. Okay. All right. So, and do you have a cash cost number there? You're giving us an IR
2: and a and, a, and a, well, the cash cost uh, by SpanTech using a 93 percent recovery. We've mm-hmm. we've 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 got recovers of ninety five and ninety six, so we we feel we'll be up there. But using ninety three is a conservative number. It's four sixty four cash cost.
5: Wow, that right. would be. That would give you quite a margin. And then, Ron, could you just just to give us a sense of the the grades? What sort of grades are assumed to go through there? Well,
2: the the average, the fully diluted grade is 7.38. Again, Stantec uh, did the work on that, and it's 7.38. I mean, there's stokes with 26 grams. You know, you just go to our website, and you'll see some of the drill holes in the corporate presentation. But there's, you know, it's very rich. And, it, and you know, uh, Jay, that as, it, as you dig deeper, in a bit speed, the grade goes up. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty good bonus when you're, di- when you're going down deeper. And we do, we do have a, a deep hole intercept at Bachelor Lake at 3,500 feet. We're down, we're down to 2,400 feet. The hoist we installed has the capability of going to five to 6,000 feet, so we did plan for the future.
5: Okay, well, that then sort of leads me into my next question with respect to the uh, the mine life and the potential to uh, to to uh, increase the production. But you're looking at, uh, are you pretty much confined to sixty thousand ounces a year, or is it possible to pull more ore and and feed that mill for fully uh, more fully? You mentioned that you have uh, two thirds of your you're assuming two thirds of that twelve hundred ton per day mill. Is it possible? Ron, uh, you know, is it possible in the future that you can pull enough ore to feed more in there as you explore, and you mentioned also the UFRAN, which will increase your 43 uh, uh, numbers, uh, supposedly, when you come out with the feasibility study. But can, can this be scaled up is, is my question.
2: Yes, it can. Uh, there's no question. That's why we do always emphasize that we're only using two-thirds capacity. Uh, Jay, there's, there's the, the, the bottleneck is obviously not the mill. It's not the shaft because uh, basically we'll uh, we'll probably get all the ore up in an eight hour eight to uh, eight to nine hour shift mm-hmm. to do it the bottleneck is not the shaft so it's workstations mm-hmm. that's why we're looking right now uh, there's two strategic plans one is that we're looking at Barry and we'll get into that later mm-hmm. one is also basher so the the fact that uh, right now, Ufriend workstation is not in the budget. What we financed with Sandstorm and the equity we raised. So we're mm-hmm. we're sticking to the plan. The plan is exactly what Stantec is. It's exactly the four, you know the four sixty four cash cost using two thirds capacity. That's this is this is the plan, and we're sticking to that. But we're looking at the price of gold, and we're saying, listen, there's 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 potential here, uh, and we have to look at a way to uh, maybe augment there's two things that we want to tackle uh, this year and going into next year is the mine life, there's no question, three-year mine life. We have a comment, uh, the Industrial Alliance analyst, Charles uh, Killian Charles, has visited the mine site for uh, two days uh, very familiar. He did back of the envelope calculations. He thinks the, the, the resource is, uh, upwards of 700,000. We, we do believe there's, you know, over time we will prove up to a million ounces at Basher because it's, it's open in all directions. Mm-hmm. Basher's side, on the UFriend side, and on the other side of the, uh, the O'Brien Pluton where the original showing is, there's gold mm-hmm. there. So we're okay. very very confident that, that this is a rich mine, and if not,
5: okay, Ron. But for the time being, at least you've got two hundred thousand ounces, which gives you a startup mine life of three years. And uh, and so let's talk about um, let's talk about the Berry deposit. I know you guys were in production with Berry, uh last year, the year before, uh, and then and then um, you know had a, had a couple of problems. I guess the grades weren't as good as you might have expected, but you never really took the time to uh, explore and develop the massive potential of the berry. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about the berry. What do you have? uh, First of all, the berry is located how far away from the Bachelor Lake facility?
2: Uh, By road, it's about just over 100 kilometers. As the crow flies, it's 65 kilometers away.
5: Okay, and you were taking ore from the berry deposit, hauling it on a truck, uh, hauling it on trucks over to Bachelor Lake, right? Right. To the mill. To the mill. Yes. Okay. Now, what is? Do you have a resource a 43101 resource at at Barry at this time?
2: We have a 43101 at Barry. It has almost 800,000 ounces, all categories. Hmm. Uh, the the key that the, uh, there's no question when the resource calculation came out in the morning, uh, I was getting a lot of uh, compliments, you know, you have 800,000 ounces, that's great, but then by the afternoon, people were really focusing in on the grade, and you know, obviously it it is, it is a concern to how to make money, and gold I think was around 1100 or 1200, probably around 1100 dollars at the time. We decided to close the pit, but about 45 days later we got the actual full detailed report from SGS Geostat. And what was, what was in there, maybe the quantitative numbers were perhaps disappointing, but the good news was yes, the reserve, the, not the reserve, but the resource calculation was exponentially higher than the original 40,000 ounces that we purchased. Sure. Sure, but it you know, but you get comments by SGS Geostat in the formal report. This is not management talking that uh, you know the rep- the exploration work has significantly increased the amount of resources, the mineralization is open in all directions, the property has not been drilled out to its fullest extent. And you know, in the context of a larger tonnage with lower grade with an on-site mill or concentrator, the property has the potential to become a significant low grade high tonnage deposit similar to a Cisco and Detour. Sure. These are not, these are not our comments and, yeah. and another comment like the Barry project geology has the potential to become an important Gold deposit. These well, are, I are are, are are these are you know the the actual professionals who are making these comments. So Yeah,
5: I have no doubt about that, Ron. And I I, I just I could you tell our listeners though what sort of grades are you looking at though with that um, eight hundred thousand the for 000, a, for a formal
2: report, you're looking at an average grade of about one point three.
5: Okay, but, but 1.3 grams per ton can make a, can, can be very profitable in these days with gold where it is now, with the cost of producing where it is now. Uh, Ron, I saw recently, and this would, this would sort of go to what you were just saying, the professionals, the independents were talking about uh, the potential there. I saw here that Metanor, this is a headline that came out on, uh, this was um, October 4th, I believe, uh, Metanor Resources finds 89 new IP anomalies at Barrie. So these are all targets, I guess, to uh, to shoot at. But can you give our sen- our listeners a sense of that 800,000 ounces now? What sort of aerial extent does that cover? What is the okay? The
2: 800,000 to- ounces is the pit. I'm glad you, you asked this question. The pit is actually one kilometer long, and it is smack dab in the middle on a vertical on a horizontal, uh, Say, uh, if you put an eight by eleven. Uh, paper and turned it uh, horizontal. You've got a uh, cor- one corner, the south uh, southwest corner, going to the northeast corner, and mm-hmm. the the barrier would be right in the middle, and it's only one kilometer. But that that line across is 13, four kilo- 13 to 14 uh, kilometers long, so okay. you have a, a potential strike. And at the top at the northeast corner, you have the old uh, Noront windfall, which is now Eagle Hill, and they've been, been getting some very good, interesting drill holes. And then just south of them is Bonterra, and everything that they have goes on our property. And they'll, you know, they'll say what's on our property came from their property, but it doesn't really matter. There's extension, so it's a very, you know, as you know, Andre has mentioned, Andre Trombley, geologist, says he feels there's a new mining camp. But I appreciate the talk about the eighty-nine. But now we have a total of over a hundred and fifty anomalies on this. Okay, property.
5: so lots to shoot at, Ron. Lots, lots to shoot of. at. But here, here's the question now that I have in my mind you've got production slated to start up next year at Bachelor Lake you've got this you know much larger deposit uh in terms of numbers of ounces at the Berry Lake at the at the Berry deposit uh and there was some talk in the past about doing a concentration plant there where you would you know, Because the cost of transporting that ore from Barrie to Bachelor Lake was, was fairly significant, as I recall. Yeah, uh, is there awesome. still some thought? Is management considering the possibility of, um, of putting up a concentration plant? And how much gold you need to establish there before that becomes feasible?
2: Well, we're actually doing, uh, in, the, in that same press release, we did announce that we're doing an internal strategic plan, which is a preliminary assessment. We're going to look at, there's two things, we're going to look at, is it profitable today to Take some more, and truck it again, because the price of gold, you know, is approaching 1700, uh, and it's been as high as 1900. The economics may be there, and then for a minimal investment, we can start to do, we need a mining plan. So we're doing a lot of work on, right now, on, on assessing Barry. We're also looking into, in the future, we know with a concentrator, it's highly profitable. You know, if you're, if you're concentrating anywhere from 15 to 20, uh, 20 to 1, you have one truck for 20. And then you, and, and putting that in, you can get, you know, you can get almost 120,000 ounces mm-hmm. of annual production with, uh, with a concentrator. But there's right. no question that we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we're going to, I personally think we're going to be looking at, uh, we'll assess it here, see if we could start to get some economics. And if it does work, then we'll you know we'd look for a bankable feasible on that. But the idea the, the, the other thing would be maybe we try to bring the resource up to a, a million ounces, you know, get from 800 to over a million, and then it then that you know that might get uh, get things in a better a better light for a bankable feasible. But there's no question that we are doing a lot of work on uh, on Barry internally, studying everything, the economics of it. Do we put it back into production since we have that excess capacity? But we're also looking at, as I said, the Hue friend to drift to it, uh, to that other ore. That's yeah. that's since we've been hitting. So we we want we to we have the two backup plans because there is excess capacity that can get us more than sixty
5: thousand ends. Yeah. Okay, Ron. Well, I'm wondering now um, with respect to the berry you you are exploring. I see a lot of press releases. Uh, you had some good numbers coming out of Barry over the last year. Last number of months and so forth, to what extent is your exploration of Barry confined by the need to focus right now on Bachelor Lake and get that into production? And that's one question. And secondly, I'd like to ask, uh, I'd like you to tell and explain to our listeners a little bit about your arrangement with Sandstorm. And does Sandstorm have some um, I mean, obviously Sandstorm is financing, providing capital into uh, the Bachelor Lake facility. Uh, and uh, are there some are there some restrictions on what you 're allowed to spend on Barry from uh, the sandstorm agreement
2: no there, there technically there 's no restrictions, but the money we raised was the complete bachelor, and we 're focusing on that so that 's why we did some work. We said you know after the 43101 last year, we did a lot of uh, looking at Barry and said, what do we do, but where the short term uh, uh, production was 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 always Bashor Lake, so that's why he focused on that and financed it with uh, Sandstorm's help. The deal with Sandstorm, if the viewers are not familiar, is they gave us twenty million dollars, which we have, and it's not to be repaid. It's it's uh, it's deferred revenue. Mm-hmm. So now, once we start producing, I'll start to amortize that. So even though I will sell them every ounce, uh, they own they they have the right for twenty percent of our production. So in other words, if I when we do sixty thousand ounces. I will deliver to them 12,000 ounces. They will pay us $500 U.S. per ounce, but I will also amortize about $500 and change. So I will really be uh, having a thousand over $1,000 per ounce sale so far. I'll get an extra $6 million of revenue, maybe not necessarily cash flow because they paid in advance, but we never pay back that $20 million. It carried no interest rates, no warrants, no, nothing. And then with that, we raised another, uh, 16 million and we're, we're, uh, we're going way ahead with the project right now.
5: Okay, Ron, just to be clear on this, the 20% then applies to Bachelor Lake. It applies to Eufran as well?
2: Yes, it does, but it does not apply to, uh, Barry. To du- and Wapatini. It, it's strictly the Barry, uh, the Bachelor Mine and Eufran. Understood. Project,
5: so. Un- understood, Ron. Well, it certainly looks like, uh, a very exciting, story uh, right now with a market cap of um, $70 million getting into production. I think what's exciting to me is the longer-term upside potential and the potential to, I mean, certainly if you were uh, sending a concentrate down to Bachelorette Lake, uh, you, you could start to produce an awful lot more gold there because you wouldn't be produce, uh, putting that much throughput and you, it would be high-grade uh, concentrate. I guess I guess it's too early to have any sense of what the concentrate might be because you're not even sure you're going to build a concentration plant yet. But, but this is, uh, this is really a very interesting story, Ron. I know you've had some difficulties. I don't know what mining project that goes into production doesn't have difficulty. Mining is a very difficult business, but when you're successful, it can be extremely profitable. And it seems to me that, uh, you know, as one that's followed your company for a number of years, that Metanor is probably could be at that sweet spot now, or very near that point in
2: time. Well, we 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 feel we are. We're, you know, the the fact that we sank the shaft, uh, even the Industrial Alliance uh, made a comment uh, after that that you know once the shaft sinking was complete, they said there's no barriers to Methanor's success. We have all the permits. We have great staff. We have no shortage of workers. We're in a geopolitical risk-free environment uh, with Quebec. We're we're included in the government's plan, or if you get a hold of that government document, Metanor Resources, Bachelor Lake is is mentioned as one of the projects in the plan, or, I mean, we don't need all the infrastructure that everybody else does. We have our roads, we have our hydro, but, you know, we're recognized. So, I mean, uh, you know, we've got a lot more third-party validations coming our way. So I think people have to do their due diligence, but, sandstorm did their due diligence and they gave us 20 million dollars you know so well,
5: i i must tell i must tell my listeners that when sandstorm gets involved in a project uh i have a very high regard for sandstorm and when they uh, put their money into a project uh that builds that that definitely increases my confidence because i know those guys do a, a very very good work they're very smart very thorough analysts before they put money into a project. So that's, that's an endorsement, I think, Ron, of, of Metanor and what you're doing there. Uh, do you have any sense of how uh, Metanor might stack up now its market cap compared to some of its peers?
2: Well, you know, obviously everybody says it and we're all, we're all pro our own companies. I mean, you know, I look at it as that, you know, are we, are we undervalued? Uh, You know, at at 70 million market cap, we're going into production. I think we're hitting the inflection point of a stock like the old SEMFO and the Horizons. You know, their stock started to take off once they got closer to production. Mm -hmm. I think we're on the radar screens. Uh, you know, we have 150 to 200 million dollars of infrastructure that's here today. It doesn't mm-hmm. take three years to build. Doesn't, you know, you don't know if you're going to get all the permits. Uh, there's no production risk because we, we've, we've basically uh, tried to, we have no risk anymore. We've, we've upgraded our mill from 450 short to 700 to 800 to 1200 and we've commissioned it each time successfully. So, you know, we're just going to restart the mill. It's not, a, it's not, it's not a very uh, risky endeavor for, uh, for us because we've done yeah. it before.
5: We- yeah, well, Ron, I'm glad you said not a very risky endeavor because I don't want to mislead our, nope. our listeners into thinking this is a risk-free endeavor, but certainly you have uh, removed much, much of the risk and, as you say, not a better place in the world to operate probably uh, than Quebec and all the infrastructure in place. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it looks very, very positive to me. Ron, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners before we uh, conclude our discussion today?
2: Well, there's no question that, you know, obviously just going through the quick overviews. We're located in Quebec, mining friendly, one of the best jurisdictions in the world. We have a fully paid 1,200 ton per day mill, fully computerized. We have access to uh, qualified miners. We've just hired 30 in the last minute, in the last month. Uh, you know, we're 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 on our way and we've got good partners, we've got third party validations by Sandstorm, uh, we've got good shareholders, we still have uh, uh spot asset management that owns twenty two million shares. And uh, we're going forward. I think uh you know we've hit that inflection point. Uh we're going forward to put bachelor Lake into production and the Barry property is we, we we would love to put some drills on that property. There's no Well I'm sure it's going problems, to happen. We're gonna work on that too. I'm
5: sure it will, Ron. Unfortunately, we are out of time now. So I, I want to thank you uh, very much for sharing your story. It is a, it is a much more positive story now than it was six months or a year ago. So I want to thank you very much, folks. Don't go away because coming up next is one of the brightest young proponents of honest money I know. He is Ron Hera of Hera Research. And if you don't, if you want to understand why the current economic system is doomed and why the purchasing power of gold is likely the sword of the moon. You can't afford to miss what Ron has to say, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Ron Hera.
3: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
0: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000. the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com and get in on
3: this investment opportunity at the ground floor. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome to the human
1: race, some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be
2: gliding.
5: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Ron Hera for the first time on this show. Uh, Ron Hera is the founder of Hera Research uh, and the principal author of the Hera Research Newsletter. He holds a master's degree from Stanford University and is a member of Mensa and the Ludwig von Mises Institute. Uh, he's a native of California. Ron is a self described escapee from Silicon Valley uh... he originally an entrepreneur and private investor in communication software and mobile technology ron turned his attention to investing in natural resources such as precious metals after the dot com bubble and stock market bubble uh, crash of two thousand Uh, Ron is a popular speaker at radio networks and talk shows uh, such as the Corlin Economics Report, which you truly used to be a frequent guest on. Ron uh, Ron's articles have been featured in publications such as Resource uh, World Magazine and on major Internet sites, including King World News, Goldseek, Seeking Alpha, Financial Sense, Kitco, MindWeb, and the Ludwig von Mises Institute and other professional venues around the world and have been translated into Arabic, German. Vietnamese and other languages. welcome, Ron to turning hard times into good times. thanks for having me on Jay. really good to have you I <clears throat> excuse me, I have to clear my throat here. I first became uh, aware of your work when you uh, sent out uh, some information about the Utah state legislature and uh, and their uh, recent legislation uh, using gold and silver as money so I want to dig into that uh, later a little later in this show, but first i'd like to focus on a couple of very interesting articles that you've written over the last year, year and a half or so. And the first one I'd like to talk to you about is an article that you wrote, and I picked it up at Financial Sense uh, on their website. It's called Into the Abyss, uh, the Cycles of Debt Deflation. Um, now, um, more recently, uh, in June, you wrote this letter. You wrote this in June uh, of 2010, and that was you know, some, I don't know, 15 months ago or so well, fifteen months after the stock market bottomed in two thousand and nine since then equity prices have risen significantly. So where are we now with respect to the abyss?
1: Well, the abyss is the erosion or actually the gradual collapse of debt i mean we've we had a huge debt bubble, which was the the real estate. Uh, uh, bubble, and the problem with that is that the, the the debt, especially the derivative debt, still exists in the financial system. Although the prices of those properties has has fallen dramatically, so so basically there's there's different forms of inflation and deflation. Uh, obviously, the root is a monetary phenomenon when the amount of money in the financial system increases or decreases and generally prices will follow. So when people speak of inflation or deflation, they generally mean that prices are rising or falling. But before that happens, the the quantity of money in the financial system changes. In addition to that, you could speak of inflation or deflation in terms of debt levels. And obviously, debt levels in our economy are much too high for the GDP or the gross domestic product of our economy. So what that article is about is the fact that the debt levels are unsustainable and, and there is no way to preserve that debt, uh, except through radical, uh, policy responses which are inflationary. In other words, to, for example, bail out banks and, and that sort of thing. But it doesn't change the fact that the economy, actual economic activity cannot support those debt levels. And the same thing is true for the government as well
5: yeah you know an interesting quote uh, from Ludwig von Mises that you <clears throat> that you published in that uh, in your essay and let me just read it to our listeners there is no means of avoiding the final collapse of a boom brought about by credit expansion the alternative is only whether the crisis should come sooner as a result of a voluntary abandonment of further credit expansion or later as a final and total catastrophe of the current of the currency involved uh, it seems to me Ron that our policymakers are postponing, they are not voluntarily, um, you know, taking care of things. They're basically pushing the can down the road, to use a worn-out worn phrase. Uh, is that your sense of it? And if so, how much longer can they push the can down the road?
1: Well, that's exactly what's happening. So, so that uh, famous quote from, from uh, von Mises is crystal clear. And uh, it is, it's is—it's absolutely valid, and, it, and it's really not uh, refutable. Uh, if you have too much debt in the system, uh, there is no way to make bad debts good. Uh, so when uh, loans are made recklessly and excessive uh, amounts of lending take place, there simply isn't any way to, you know, turn lead into gold, so to speak. I mean, the fact is those loans are bad. They, they shouldn't have been made. The economy can't support those debt levels, and there isn't any way to to somehow, you know, wave a magic wand and make those bad debts into good debts, or make uh, bad financial assets into good financial assets. I mean, even the Federal Reserve, having uh, you know in QE one and two, and now Operation Twist, uh, their balance sheet has uh, has ballooned to three trillion dollars. Well, what they have on their balance sheet, well, possibly at least in the near term accepting U.S. Treasuries, <clears throat> but as far as the mortgage-backed securities are concerned, the Fed's balance sheet is, is, is basically junk. Uh, so there isn't any way to change that situation. And, and, and so those are the measures that have been taken, among other things, like the stimulus spending, to essentially uh... pretend that bad debts are good debts to somehow pretend that we don't have to go through what i'm calling a debt deflation in that particular article in the into the abyss article and mm-hmm. uh, so so the 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 thesis of it is simply that, that there isn't any way to change a debt situation and of course i also dealt in that article at the time with the fact that uh... the news media coverage of economic developments was very misleading and that actually if you look if you look at the data Uh, you could not see any sign of of recovery in the economy. And I think that's become clear now. In fact, at this point, we're headed into – we're actually in uh, what could be fairly called the the much-feared and much-talked-about double-dip.
5: Yes, it was supposed to be green shoots, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, back at that time. So, you know, I I tried to smash that that misperception – uh, by running through the mortgage numbers and some other debt numbers uh, and basically showing that, uh, you know, based on the economics, that there isn't any recovery and those debt levels, uh, the, the the quality of the debt is deteriorating. And, mm-hmm. and we're talking about, uh, at that time, what actually are the financial assets of the banks.
5: Mm-hmm. And so we're throwing good money after bad, essentially, aren't we?
1: Well, that's exactly the case, but but more than that, it's it's not it's not uh, it's not only as bad as putting good money after bad because of what we're doing or what these policy responses have done, and I mean the bailouts, uh, the the Federal Reserve's policy response with QE1, 2, and uh, and and Operation Twist. What they're actually doing is they're 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 re they're in- injecting liquidity into financial markets. They're they're recapitalizing banks, but they're doing this with new money. And, and so, essentially, all that's happening is that as the real economy continues to contract and as money continues to flow out of the real economy because there's a dearth of lending, while at the same time debt service continues to drain money from the real economy, and all that's happening, therefore, as a result of these policies is that is that, in effect, money, as it drains away from the actual economy, reappears thanks to these policy responses, mm-hmm. in, the, in banks and in financial markets. Mm-hmm. So you have an, a growing disconnection and a growing economic distortion. And, and one aspect of that, one, fall, one uh, a facet of this distortion, in other words, money draining from the real economy and then reappearing thanks to policy responses by the Fed and the government, uh, reappearing in the financial sector the one consequence of this is 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 an actual transfer of wealth i mean that's how it appears that's how mm-hmm. it manifests that's not the mechanism but mm-hmm. what appears on the surface to be happening is that while the population at large is uh, financially squeezed and as uh, businesses struggle and fail and jobs go away, the actual amount of money in the financial system and in, in the banking system specifically seems to continue increasing. Mm-hmm. So it appears on its face like a transfer of wealth from mainstream to Wall Street.
5: Mm-hmm. And, you're saying that, and you're saying that's not the case?
1: Well, the mechanism is not directly a transfer. It, uh-huh. What's happening is that new money is being created. Uh-huh. The value of money is being diluted. Right. And as as money drains away from the real economy, it's being it's being basically created out of thin air mm-hmm. in the financial sector, so that mm-hmm. the the distribution of money is being distorted. Right.
5: Right. Okay. Good. That's. I'm glad you pointed out that you cannot create wealth by printing money, but you can redistribute wealth. The wealth that's created, I like to say, by the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors—people who actually do things of value—are uh, are being priced out of the market, and in turn, we have uh, the demand, away way uh, you know, the the, uh, the ability, the purchasing power, the demand against those reducing items uh, in the hands of the financial sector. Well, let me ask you this: It seems so clear to some of us, Ron, who have been following Austrian economic thoughts for a long time. Ron Paul said it this morning on CNBC when he was on <clears throat> early this morning from Las Vegas. I think they made the, the poor guy get up at about 4 in the morning to be on a show in New York City. But, um, you know, he said, it. how can we fix a debt problem by creating more debt? And I think what people don't really understand, and maybe you can shed some light on this, is how money is created in a fiat currency, a fractional reserve fiat currency system. Because every time I like to say, and correct me if you disagree, but I like to say, that debt is the raw material from which money in a fiat fractional reserve system is uh, is created. Debt is the raw material. And as we bail out after bail out um, or stimulus after stimulus, we create more debt money, do we not?
1: Well, yeah, so, so first let me say that, you know, Ron Paul, although he's much maligned, uh, particularly by the news media, is the only political candidate I'm aware of that has any comprehension of, uh, of what sound money and a, and a sound banking system would be. And along those lines, we are now at a point in our country, uh, I'm sorry, this is a bit of an aside, where we do not have a stable financial system, we do not have a stable economy, we do not have a stable political situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's my opinion that Ron Paul is virtually the only presidential candidate that actually understands that fact.
5: Well, I absolutely agree with you, and we are going to have Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Dice, join us later in the show. And if you're willing and able to hang around and talk uh, to Jeff, we'd love to have you, Ron. But let's continue the thought, then, with respect to that article you wrote. You also talked in there about the structural uh, decline in the labor market. Would you care to explain your thoughts along those lines to our listeners?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, really, two things have happened in terms of uh, in terms of employment. I mean, there's been a, basically wages have have real wages have declined. So if they're adjusted for inflation, uh, real wages have declined. And at the same time, you know, as you well know, the, the government has essentially Uh, gimmick to the unemployment numbers. I mean, the top line number that's reported is the unemployment rate. That's 9% uh, thereabouts at this time that number essentially represents the number of people currently receiving or the proportion of the workforce that's currently receiving unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, the number of people receiving benefits isn't the same as the number of people without (coughs) jobs. That's another number. So we're talking about the Bureau of Labor Statistics, U3 versus U6. U6 is is the number of people who had a full-time job and then uh, either, uh, gave up looking for work, as they say, gave up looking for work, uh, or who have part time or temporary work instead of a full time job that they had previously lost. Right. That number is actually closer to 17%. Uh, so, you know, and actually the, the, the number of people, uh, I mean, even, even eventually people aren't counted in those numbers if they never find another job. Mm-hmm. So, so the real situation, you can see that in, in what the Federal Reserve measures as EM ratio. And and as you may have noticed in my articles, and actually in all my analyses, I make every effort possible to use official government and Federal Reserve statistics so that it's their own data by which I make any case as to what's happening with the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, the data are less accurate, like I mentioned, the BLS U3, U6 versus the EM ratio. I mean, you can see just looking at the employment ratio that the the actual U6 number, even that's misleading. Mm-hmm. In reality, what's happening is that the workforce uh, grew uh, in the in the 80s, uh, substantially because women were entering the workforce, and it continued to grow uh, in, through the 90s and then started to, to basically collapse, and now that's what's happening. Uh, and so now, even though originally one <clears throat> breadwinner could support a household, now you have two breadwinners that can't make ends meet, and at the same time, the, the size of the workforce is now the same size as it was in the 80s, even though... Uh, it now takes two breadwinners to support a household.
5: Yeah, so the declining living standards very, very substantial compared to what even is perceived. Um, I want to back up a little bit and 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 ask you to comment on something you said about uh, there's a dearth of lending. So they've pumped huge amounts of money into the banking system, and it's not being lent out. And we have this structural unemployment. It sounds to me so much like stories I read about the 1930s money pumped into the system, people wanting to work, not able to find a work, not able to find a job. So why are banks not lending? Uh, if you can answer that, we've got to go to a commercial break in a couple of minutes, but, but start on that one, and, and then we'll see where we pick up after the break. Why is it that banks are flush with cash, but they're not lending?
1: Well, so this gets back to the earlier question, which we never answered, which is uh, the, the structure of what money is in terms of debt. Uh, you see, debt that really can only increase if the economy is growing. I mean, in other words, if the economy is declining uh, and the money supply in the in the broad economy is shrinking, then making a loan is, is essentially suicidal for a bank. I mean, you're, you're you're making a loan into an environment where it's less likely that that loan will be paid back uh, because the economic activity is declining and because the money supply itself is shrinking, the broad money supply, not in the banking system, but in the economy. So that 's why banks aren 't lending because the the economy's in terrible shape they 're not stupid, yeah uh, so so you know the problem of course, is when you have debt saturation, uh, right. which is a phrase I like to use, which basically and you, you can see this if you actually look at the total amount of debt versus the GDP of our country, which is yeah. now, which is now declining. When you look at total debt versus GDP, you see basically uh, a, a parabolic curve it 's an exponential mm-hmm. increase. And so you've seen debt basically max out. It's mm-hmm. just like a borrower maxed out on a credit card. Mm-hmm. The economy is maxed out. Mm-hmm. So there is no lending, and there can't be any lending, because those loans would be bad.
5: Right. It's it's maxed out. I think the uh, total debt to GDP uh, was going up almost exponentially. We've seen a little bit of a curl over now in the total debt, have we not? And so, it, But it's still a huge gap between the debt and the gdp compared to historical uh, ratios
1: yeah and so that that gets back to both uh, into the abyss and the question of hyperinflation is how do you bring those two numbers back in line with each other so once you have this huge uh... you know basically acceleration in debt pulling away so to speak from the real economy and after some point so initially as debt increases new money flows into the economy you see an increase in gdp in other words, economic activity at least nominally increases. Right. And so it looks as if you can sort of grow the economy by infusing more and more debt because it increases the money supply. But, of course, then when you hit that saturation point and you max out, from that point there really isn't any way to bring those, the, those two things back in line. The economy stops growing. In fact, it gradually shrinks. That's what's happening now. Uh, and there is no way to restart the engine of lending, which is why the government has essentially stepped in and started borrowing and having huge, running huge deficits to to basically make the nominal GDP numbers look somewhat the same. So it appears as if the economy is 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 sort of you know, if not bottom bouncing, but maybe even you know, recovering or at least not declining. But mm-hmm. that's only an appearance, and it's manufactured by government deficit spending.
5: Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the total debt grows more and more. Uh, I want to also talk to you about another Austrian concept called malinvestment. You're talking here about pushing up to the limits where there's debt saturation, where we can't lend anymore and get any more, or very, very marginal increase in nominal GDP. There's also another concept. We've got to go to commercial break, and when we come back, I'd like you to comment also about another Austrian concept, very simple, I think very basic concept called malinvestment. So we can talk about that after we go to break. We're going to have to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll be, we'll be right back here with Ron Hera Don't go away.
3: The Business Community's First Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
0: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policy makers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000. While the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At miningstocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio. TV and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his
3: profitable newsletters. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 14.9 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
0: Lucky Strike Resources Limited conducts due diligence drilling on the claim with a historical resource of 1.5 billion tons of coal in Mongolia. The project is directly north of China, where the coal consumption tripled in the last 10 years to 3.2 billion tons in 2010. Lucky Strike's management team has a proven track record, having contributed significantly in the building of a multi-billion dollar company operating in China. Please visit our website at www.luckystrikeresources.com And get in on this investment opportunity at the ground level.